welcome to episode 29 of All's Fair in Love and Film, a film review podcast where we go through our DVD collection in alphabetical order, reviewing each one as we go. I'm Laura. And I'm Ryan. And this week we're talking about 1982's Blade Runner, directed by Ridley Scott. A classic. An absolute classic and a big fave of the sci-fi nerds in this household. Which uh, is us. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we are the household, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is your history with this film? Um, I'm not going to lie. This is like one of the films that I remember mo- like most from my childhood and most kind of like from my mom telling me about it. Uh, t- telling me about like Philip K. Philip K. Dick's um, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? I remember her always like trying to get me to read that and stuff like that. And, and did you? I did. It is a very, very good book. And incredible. Uh, and I Ryan think Ryan doesn't tr- read books, so that's pretty big news. <laughs> I do, or just not fantasy. <laughs> no, just not no. ever. You haven't read a book since we got married. True. Very true. Um Yeah, I didn't see this film for a really long time. I saw it when I was like in my late teens to early twenties, kind of uh in university, because I don't know, it just was never really one that was on my radar. I kind of, I was into sci-fi from like a really young age. I saw The Matrix and like Aliens and like Star Wars when I was really young. So I was much more into my kind of action sci-fi than my more cerebral sci-fi. But I have read the book. I can't remember which order I read. I can't remember if I read the book before or after I saw the film, to be honest. But um, honestly, they're so different that it doesn't really matter. I do think they complement each other incredibly well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they, you know, what they keep and what they leave out of the book is is good for the, like, it makes it translate a lot better to screen, but it just means I can't remember which one I consumed first. <laughs> I, like, kind of jumping straight in, straight into into the podcast. Um, oh, hell yeah. Um, I actually think that this is a really good way of, you know, taking a source like a bit of source material and turning it into something that the pretty much a, a a artist's interpretation of of the source material in a, in a way that's you know very very true to the source material in in spirit and in like overall feel but kind of in a more hollywood way that does translate better for the masses because i like i as much as i love the book i do think that there are some aspects of it that would be incredibly difficult to translate oh hell yeah i mean i i would say that's a common theme in philip k dick like there's been a lot of his stuff that has been translated to screen so there's the um obviously he wrote uh, the man in the high castle which is an amazon series he wrote do androids dream of electric sheep which is this he did a scanner darkly yeah. which was made into a film in the early 2000s i think i haven't actually seen that one i do have to look, though um there's been loads of translations and the common theme with those is that they are quite different from the source material because a lot of his stuff for lack of a better word is very thinky and yeah. very thinky doesn't necessarily translate to good on screen but the concepts are so good and so compelling that it's it's very tempting for a filmmaker to want to translate it to screen and those kind of adaptations require a lot of adjustment but it's a it's it's never a bad thing i mean again i haven't seen a scanner darkly um but I, I haven't heard any bad things about it. I think it's one yeah. of the lesser known of his kind of 
um, like of media adaptations of his work. I I mean, uh, in the states, or at least in my high school, it was one of the one of the. Uh, 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 I mean, no. the film. Oh, the film, the film. Okay. Have you seen it? Uh, I've not seen the film, but the book. We we were made to well, uh, read it in, in high school. And yeah. did you like it? Uh, yes, I I I liked um, Do Android Dream of Electric Sheep a lot more though. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. it is it is incredibly good. Um, shall we do a quick plot summary? A quick plot summary. Yeah, I um, it's. I would say this film is kind of plot light it, i mean obviously it's very thought experimenty but in terms of like sequence of events it can be summarized pretty uh pretty succinctly. briefly yeah pretty succinctly so i've taken this one from uh, imdb as usual uh in the film a blade runner played by uh harrison ford must pursue and terminate four replicants who stole a ship in space and have returned to earth to find their creator so in the world that Philip K. Dick has created for uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, it is illegal for replicants to exist on Earth, but they are uh, mass-produced. So replicants are androids. They're like fake humans. Um, and they're shipped out to be, be essentially slaves because they're not viewed as humans on outer space colonies. And in this kind of snapshot of that world, uh, it was initially six, but only four made the full journey uh, replicants make it back to earth to try and um get like try and get personhood really yeah, from person. from their creator um Long, trying to, longevity and lo- well longevity but also they're trying to get recognized as people yeah. and they're they're, they're yeah. reasoning for wanting um for deserving this longevity is because they they view themselves as people yeah so obviously the kind of philosophical this the philosophical arguments around this film have been being made since it came out essentially and it's why it's got this status as like a kind of cult classic there are books written on the philosophy of blade runner yeah um so we're not going to go too deeply into that here but it is the whole you know at what point does ai become human um what does being human mean is that worth what we think it's worth you know and, yeah. and all these questions like why are certain things and people worth less than other things and people well i mean like also the like i've seen i've read so much dialogue on you know obviously the parables of, of slave sla- slavery oh, with, yeah, the, with this sure. film uh, with this film and also like the ethics of surrounding sentience and just um and and how that how that applies to yes ai and how how like how we can also apply that to other races uh, like other uh, other species and stuff like that like i know I, a friend of mine at university did a whole, did their whole like f- uh, philosophy thesis on um on why blade runner made him in, into a vegan crazy yeah no I, I i do understand that i mean i mean obviously a lot more of that kind of side of it comes from the um the book there's yeah, a lot more focus on so. animals and stuff from that um gotta say right at the top really 80s move to make a uh film that is based on a book that is an allegory for slavery uh that has only white people in it and two very abused asian people yeah like wow um that's this film does not win any points for diversity um but yeah it's the 80s and you know hopefully going forwards things will be uh, much improved in that department, but yeah. uh, I do think it's worth commenting on. Um, yeah, that's even kind of given worse that you know it's actually set in a future where it's it's very very heavily influenced by Asian culture. 
Yeah, I mean, I think they do a really good job in the... I mean, one of the big things I want to talk about with this film is set design because it is incredible. And yes. they do a really good job of a dystopian Tokyo. The only thing they don't do is, you know... Representation. Representation. You know, if you're going to use future Tokyo, the majority of your cast should be, like, Japanese. Um, but it's all white people. But anyway, set design. <laughs> like, Yeah. It's so, so textured. It's so good. Like the first kind of opening scene where you get the flyover and then there's the kind of um, the industrial kind of areas that have the flames coming coming out the top and you're zooming in on the large like complex um, that is... Tyrell Corporation. The Tyrell Corporation. Yeah, sorry. I was about to say... um, the one from Alien, and I was wrong. <laughs> oh, Wailing Utani. Wailing Utani. I was like, it's a Wailing Utani Corporation. Like, the, no, the, no, no, it's not that one. To be fair, the font is, uh, in, in, I, if I remember correctly, the font looks somewhat similar. Like that kind of blocky 80s font. I love it. I love it. It's like, you want an evil corporation for your 80s dystopia? Here is the font that they would use. I love it. But I just love in that scene, the kind of flyover, the, the like shot itself is incredible. Um, but then it's coupled with this music that is like, it's got that discordant kind of hint to it that's like all is not well here but it's also this very triumphant like a look at what we have achieved even though you're being shown this very obviously kind of broken future i just i like i just that opening without telling you any specifics about the world that opening scene really really sets the stage for what's to come kind of thing i really love it well the just this the setting like the the whole setting is just amazing just for it's it's like rich, rich texture the fact that that like they've every single thing in every frame it, lo- it looks like it you you can kind of like kind of like immediately look look throughout the frame and kind of like see oh i can recognize some aspect of that and yeah. it, it, it's 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 tangible like enti- and entirely tangible like you can you can completely see yourself interacting with everything in the in, in the fr- in that yeah. frame and it being something familiar, but at the same time so alien and so futuristic yeah. that you're just out it's of your like, world. It's not like, oh, here is a new thing that you don't understand what it does because it's the future. It's like a here's a thing that you use in your everyday life, but this is how it would work in our well. I mean, it's meant to be set in 2015, isn't it? <laughs> Which is crazy. Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I thought they, it, say, I thought they it was, say the year yeah. 2015 in it. I don't know if they're talking about No, it. no, it's 2021, actually. Because oh, yeah, it, it the they, they inception days. something happened was yeah. 2015. Yeah, sorry. I got that mixed up. Um, but yeah, like it, it was meant to have be happening this year. Ooh, spooky. This year or last year? I can't remember. It's 2021 one of the is yeah. this year. Yeah. Well, then I'm, <laughs> I, like, like, I will... Well, I remember them saying at one and one one part that it was four like uh, like they only good the androids are only good for four years. Oh, so maybe it's twenty nineteen. Yeah, possibly. Uh, it's a roundabout now. Yeah, it's a roundabout now. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So this is like, oh, this is what this thing is going to look like in the future. That in you know when Philip K. Dick wrote the novel and when the you know, uh, the film was created. This is what we imagine this future could look like. It's just, I love, I love, kind of consuming older media and being like they thought the future was going to be now and it's kind of here but it's kind of not yeah i mean out of everything that in this in this in this film i think the only kind of close thing that we have now is 
actually the kind of like artificial animals there are there like they've made leaps and strides we with can our... clone burgers now <laughs> we, we can also clone animals entirely yeah i mean when was yeah. dolly the sheep as a while ago uh, 97 i believe yeah, yeah but like just like I've, I've seen so many robotics videos on like how they're they're like making robotic sharks and stuff like that that are like that are also capable of doing the same like electromagnetic like the electromagnetic um, fields that uh, shark kind of give off as well, which is quite cool. That's terrifying. Yeah, robot sharks is terrifying. Yeah, but they don't. At least they don't eat people. <laughs> Not that sharks eat a when lot of people every year. When they gain sentience, <laughs> they might. Yeah, that's true. That's the whole point of the film. Yeah, but but regardless, it's 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 really it's a really cool take on the future. It really it is. It really is, especially when you get to the kind of later scenes, uh, which I'm sure we'll go into in more depth, like in um, the guy's apartment when he's got a lot of that kind of oldie worldy, you know, marionettes and the kind of Nutcracker style guy and and all of this kind of really oldie worldy stuff alongside all this really high tech stuff i really love that kind of blend as well yeah the the the, the dichotomy the dichotomy and dichotomy in each each frame is just quite quite rich i mean like even like even the more futuristic attire is still very like 80s well, yes 80s but it's kind of like it, it kind of has that kind of almost like with um like rachel's look is very very posh you know yeah. But uh, but it's not future posh. It's more of a kind of a very like eighties or nineties posh. It's but you, even you, you, like going back to kind of like nineteen fifties, nineteen forties film noir posh, yeah, which yeah. is because this film is a neo noir. It is very much a neo noir. But then you look at um the outfit that Zora puts on for the for the chase scene and it's like a bra with no back, it just like hooks on in like a solid form and a um completely clear plastic rain mac yeah. which is you know modern stuff we have but with weird futuristic -y, like attributes yeah yeah very much um, so. comparing that to you know uh rachel's almost elizabethan ruffs on her coats and things yeah. like that and that kind of very like old hollywood fur coat vibe i think is it, it's it's really incredible and it does um that use of costuming does show I think really effectively the difference between the kind of android that's born into protection and born into like a place where she thinks she's real and she's like a kind of coveted asset of, of Tyrell and these androids that were made just as mass produced sent away to colonies as slaves. Like it, it does highlight the differences between their situations quite effectively. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also noticing just um, like Pris had a very, like also had a, um for a coat but it was you know tat uh, tattered it's almost that kind of yeah. more um courtney love punk vibe yeah but uh, it's it's kind of like in some ways her uh like her and rachel were very very similar but just opposite ends of the spectrum yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly well they're, they're i mean in at their heart other than the fact that rachel's like that experimental model who was made with memories um, they are exactly the same. They were manufactured yeah. by Tyrell. They've got the same creator, but because of his like opinion of them, essentially they're put ba into very, very different lots in life. Yeah. Uh, and I think it, this film does a really good job of kind of while not hitting you over the head with that, of making that a very poignant like theme. Yeah. I really enjoy the kind of 
similarities and differences between all of the like android characters that we get to see it's it's very cool yeah it, it, it's amazing um kind of going back to the setting i'm still massively impressed that this is on this filmed on the same lot as back to the future yeah i like, mean we needed a rainy street with lots of electrical things and fire <laughs> why not well then it, i mean like there's so many films that were filmed on the same lot like that are filmed on the same lot but it's just the transformation that they were able to do to make that look so futuristic and so like bleak bleak textured so like i feel like all the exterior shots that you that you see in this film I, they look so radically different every single time but they only filmed it on like a pretty much a, like a one square city block yeah it, it's just amazing what like a what 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 how creative people can be like to just like kind of visually problem solve in a way that just it makes it look so 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 perfect they apparently also filmed it in a very short time as well. It was like yeah. a matter of weeks. It was like five weeks or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, all the filming was done, which I think is incredible. Yeah. Especially well, for the amount of kind of really complex sequences and shots they do. Oh, we should say that this is the what the version that we're we we're commenting on is the um, final cut, so not the director's cut. There's like. There's a lot of different versions of this film, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. Ridley Scott wasn't happy with the initial theatrical release. Yeah. I think he he was of the opinion that the way that it had been edited um, made it so that people wouldn't get it, basically. And I think that was basically the reception at the time. People didn't like it when it first came out, but because of, like, subsequent cuts and, like, uh, director's commentary and things being kind of made a bit more plain and different things being, like, highlighted in the way the director wanted them to be, um, it's become, you know, a cult classic. Oh, absolutely. This is, like, I, I think that this is the one, like, one of the times, along with, like, Lord of the Rings, where having the director's cut or the, the extended edition makes such a massive difference in the interpretation of the story and the overall storytelling, like, the like the viewing experience that... Yeah, I, I can't I don't... imagine the unedited version of Lord of the Rings now, but... I've got a level with you right now. I don't think I've seen any other versions of Blade Runner. I'm okay. not sure. I have. I, oh, yeah. Guess you yeah. probably have. <laughs> um, just also, at the time of recording, we have not seen the Snyder Cut of Justice League. So we might, you know, have another one to add to that pantheon. Yeah. I I'm sincerely s- doubt it. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm hesitant to watch that <laughs> still. I want to watch the Snyder Cut. We've got to watch the Snyder Cut at some point. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> kind of moving away from just setting. Uh costuming in this film like i know we've touched on that very very briefly but the costuming in this is just so like i'm i'm like i'm just thinking like deckard's jacket is so iconic and yeah i really like because obviously at this time um harrison ford is doing indiana jones he's doing star wars he's very much this roguish character who never has his top button undone He, he always has his top button undone he's always like you know dress for action whereas um decker wears you know a plaid shirt that's buttoned up to the neck sometimes he wears a tie he's very much just like i think the film does a really good job using his costuming of like he's not like dread or like a bounty hunter or you know a smuggler or something like this he's not like some kind of renegade he's like a a bureau he's like basically a fucking civil servant his job is just to like kind of be a policeman and go and yeah he's doing all this kind of action-packed stuff but he's just like 
basically an office bod who has to go out and do action stuff sometimes and he's like a very sensible by the book character until he meets rachel he he's like if you this is like a very stereotypical neo-noir it's so like it's got so many of the same paintings as like the maltese falcon that like the fact that like seen it it's 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 really really good um but like he he, it's got like the classic 1930s detectives vibe but in the future kind of like yeah i really love that i mean i love because there's a lot of scenes where there's no dialogue and he's not like there it's not like a buddy cop film where you get the the two of them together kind of talking out and working things out you get those silent scenes where you get this really rich um full like kind of shot like with all these clues in and you just get him like picking things up and putting them in evidence bags and like the kind of camera zooms in and goes this is important it kind of he has the whole scene where he's panning around the photo and picking out things that are important i like all of that's very kind of old school detective lone lone gunman detective style um that is quite common in the film noir kind of genre um film noir genre notoriously unkind to women and this film isn't really an exception to that but uh again that's not the main thrust of what i want to talk about with this film like i I do want to nod to it and be like yes this film is kind of mean to its female characters because both of them gotta die and one of them gets fucking smacked by a man because why not um but yeah like beyond that i i love the aesthetic of film noir i'm not like apologizing for all the bad tropes in film noir with throughout history but I love how well that aesthetic translates to this sci-fi setting, and this film does that masterfully. Yes, yes, it's very gorgeous. much. Gorgeous. I I do also like the the fact that, like, as this being it be as kind of a yeah, a translation of film noir in sci-fi, you do all the settings where he's you know where he goes to kind of like collect clues and stuff like yeah. that are very much like stuff that you you like he goes to a, a club and meets a gangster and you know oh yeah have one on the house you know like very i i recognize that uh, that actor but i don't remember who <laughs> like um the guy who plays the gangster but like like he, he's he also goes to like the little corner shops to figure out who who makes like like who's been making the animal like animals yeah, and, and, like, yeah. the, the, like the, there's there's always like some like reference to like other like other film noir staples and like it, it's so it's like film noir on steroids and i i really really quite like like it and i do like i do think that film noir like the like the kind of like the the bleakness is such kind of a nice i think from like a cinema point of view i think it translates really really well and i'd love to see more film noir in the future i would love to see more modern film noir more well i mean this um made in 1982 hardly counts as modern anymore in terms of cinema but i would love to see more films that take the good stuff of film noir and like tip it on its head of the bad stuff and i think the way that this film does it is like dystopian films are bleak with dark undercurrents and film noir films can be bleak with dark undercurrents and by putting those two common threads together 
the rest kind of weave together very naturally and they just it makes a really good but i think you could blend the film noir genre with quite a lot of genres with with um considerable success to be honest and i would love to see more of that not just sci-fi but um mixed with kind of other other genres in future um but yeah I, i really love this the kind of aesthetic of this movie yeah. Um. One thing I also really like about the kind of the neo uh, the neo noir kind of style is the really good use of like shadows, like like mm, like yeah. the, like having so much of like people's face not lit. You know, you're only getting like very select features of their face, like parts that are like parts that are nose. Like the most striking features are generally shown, and like you can really like that high contrast look also just really feels gritty and kind of grounded and it, and it kind of grounds this whole like futuristic setting a lot more you know yeah i totally get what you mean um i really like because it's they they kind of illuminate the more um the features that are necessary to express what need to be expressed at that point and it's like exactly used to kind of shroud things in mystery or make their face look more or less human depending on kind of especially the androids like how they're acting and um that's quite common in the in the kind of chase scene at the end um between decker and Rutger hauer yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, what's his what, android I name though? i always forget his android name i'm I gonna just, look it up um but he like just that that look is just so so good roy. oh yeah roy um but even in like the most like lit up scenes you like uh like when he's using the Voight-Kampff machine on uh, on uh, Rachel, uh, yeah. like you you still have that really high contrast look. There's texture on on the walls. Like they they use a really good um, the way that they use the floor tiles and stuff like that, and the wall tiles to reflect the light. Just well, ev- that that scene yeah. is an absolute masterclass, not only in set design but in like and lighting, lighting and-, and everything, but also in in cinematography. The way they kind of um use the kind of static but very wide shot of them kind of with the sun set in the background then both sitting opposite ends of the table and they kind of um intercut that with close-ups of their face like thrown into bars of shadow um but it's also because you know it's a film noir and people are hiding things and people are, are shielding things and so you can only see small parts about the person at a time and the lighting is kind of used to reflect that which i think is incredibly cool yeah it's it's so again i i've been using this this term a lot tonight but it's so textured and in a way that you like you don't really get as much um nowadays like there's only really few cinematographers that i could think of that really utilize that one of which is roger deakins but it's just it's just really really bloody nice i think from uh actually i'm, I'm gonna go into that a bit later because it is i think my favorite like shot in the whole film but the sequence that i kind of enjoy the most from the kind of uh like cinematography perspective and also i think it's probably one of the most action-packed sequences of the movie is um the chase scene when uh decker is is chasing zora from yeah. the club god there's a lot of good techniques there like the bit where he manages to walk in line with her but through the crowd and it's kind of panning along with her but she's like in the background and it keeps cutting back to her as she starts to get more frantic it cuts faster between different uh shots and when she starts running and oh it's it's such a good sequence yeah the 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 tracking and trucking shots were are really really well like well choreographed like it it's just so 
like fluid fluid but it also feels very it, yeah you frantic was was a really really good word but it almost feels like it captures the emotion of the of the moment in cinema like in a like in a visual way that like it keeps you on edge the whole entire time you know? yeah i mean there's no like dialogue you just kind of get like crowd mumbling and there's no like big shouts when the crowd realizes what's going on and it, it's just like people going about their normal day but this really like tense kind of uh like frantic scary thing is going on kind of on the peripherals of all of that and um yeah it, it's it's very cool and her like death scene was pretty like the it was aesthetically it was so it was cinema like the cinematography of that was incredible but also my god that stunt woman got her paycheck that day holy hell yeah also she rolls about eight times through like a hundred windows i'm not gonna lie that was like the worst executed stunt uh, like well, drama well well, it, it, it's all it's all sugar glass, so it's. it's I know, yeah, I know, but, I know, but still. But it's like you can tell it's definitely not somebody of the same size, even, because if you watch it in kind of like slightly slow motion, you can tell a lot taller. The wig that she wears is falling off, like as it's happening. Like, I can't say I noticed. That, oh, but then I, again, we didn't play the play the thing in in slow motion. I yeah. actually thought it was a really like good looking thing because i was i was expecting i don't like over dramatic kind of uh gory death scenes um and they did you know the the choice of the see-through jacket was very deliberate because when he shoots her the blood splatters against the inside of the jacket from the wound and it's quite gory and then that she falls through the kind of display with all the snow so the blood goes on the snow um and it's very drawn out like from the first time he shoots her she carries on running there's the windows there's the falling there's the snow like it's a lot yeah it keeps it's very drawn out and usually i don't like stuff that i didn't i mean you know i don't think you can enjoy watching something like that particularly but um i mean for a film of this nature when so much of the film and like the way it's filmed and the movements that are chosen are to like continue factoring into this uh, philosophical point of you know what is human what isn't human and and all of this there's a it's very deliberately like um dragging out that death to kind of uh i guess highlight her humanity to Decker and make him kind of realize that he's not necessarily doing the right thing. Yeah. Because by the time he's, um, you know, continue with the job, his, his, his task is to bring down these four androids. He gets the first three of them. And by the time it comes to, he like literally gets more and more demoralized and disenfranchised with what he's doing with each kill to the point that the last one, Roy he doesn't kill. Yeah, yeah. He uh, allows him to pretty much die peacefully. Yeah, well, I mean, when he could have shot him at that point. Yeah, I mean, he did seem very disen. He like he seemed disenfranchised from the first minute you you meet him, really, because he he. Yeah, I mean, he's like like I say, with all of his kind of stuffy, like his tie is always tied and his buttons are always done well, up. He's kind of just like a guy going through the motions of a job he doesn't really like. But then the more he progresses through the film the more he's like, oh no, this is wrong. Well, I mean, even just in the first first bit where, you know, he's eating eating ramen, he's like, like, 
they're like, oh yeah, you're a Blade Runner. You need to come back and stuff like that. Because he, I think he, the implication was he had he had quit the job, but he wasn't given a choice, and he was told to come back and just be a Blade Runner again. That yeah. that, that that's the implication of that. Yeah, and, and, and when he's and, giving the Voight camp yeah. test to Rachel right at the start, he's just like rolling his eyes very much kind of going through the motions and just is like i don't yeah. really want to be doing this yeah and i mean like and the fact that he's he's like as he as he's killing more of the androids he's falling back uh, far farther into alcoholism and stuff like that yeah like, i mean clearly it's like a moral he knows yeah. it's a moral quandary he knows it's yeah. not the you know they've got enough personhood that he shouldn't be doing it yeah i still think one of the best scenes in this film is uh, the scene with leon like like Leon literally beating him, but him being saved by Rachel, you know, like at the That's very, very, very good like scene. very, very touching. Also, I really love the sign. <laughs> um, wake up, time to die, and then just, <laughs> and then the bat being under, like undercut with Leon being killed. Yeah, exactly. Time to die, but yeah. not for you. Yeah. No, it's 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 very good. Um, my favorite scene of the movie is where he's in the apartment uh looking for pris and she's sitting with the veil over her pretending to be a mannequin because she's in that room full of like dolls and mannequins and stuff and they don't do the horror movie thing where they just focus on like oh we know she's in the room but we can't see where um and we're just focused on like our protagonist she's in the center of the shot the whole time and we're like oh we know that she's gonna do something in a minute and she's just perfectly still the aesthetic of that shot is genuinely just like it's so good yeah it's an absolutely breathtaking just like the way it's put together the whole shot it's uh it's incredible you've got decker kind of moving around in the background you've got this tension building and in the foreground you've just got the kind of lights of outside like kind of flashing over her and her in this very innocent kind of white veil waiting for him to put a foot wrong so she can get him well, I think that's very cool. Yeah, it's well. I mean, like the, her, all the stunt, all the stunts that that were being done on on like the tumbling and stuff like that was yeah. that, that was really really cool. I mean, you can also really tell that that's not Daryl Hannah, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's a really good film. I mean, there's a few tiny mistakes in it that does not subtract from it. It's just they're there, you know. Yeah. yeah. No. Again, I'm I'm not as observant of these things yeah. as, as you are. So. Well, I've also watched uh, so many documentaries on this film and stuff ah, like that. There we so go. it's just like some it's stuff. It's the insider yeah. intel. Yeah, stuff that I, I've just also just kind of picked up from watching it with my uh, my mom and stuff like that as well. Also, like you mentioned, Daryl Hannah just there. Just shout out to Daryl Hannah. She is fucking awesome in this film, and she's also fucking awesome in Kill Bill, and she's yeah. great. Which we'll be covering. We'll be covering next year sometime. Next year, yeah. <laughs> in a while. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite bit? Ooh, ooh. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I think my favorite bit is I actually uh, I've got two or three really really favorite bits. I Let's think. Let's hear them. Uh. W- one of them is the opening scene with Leon, him being him kind of going under uh, undergoing the bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the kind of the discussion between the two, the way that that's that's framed, like the very kind of like slightly lower angle, kind of upwards of both of both him and um is the interviewer really good. I really like that. Um, I also really quite like the uh scene where 
Deckard kind of go, goes try it's, it's kind of fa- trying to fake a being a um a union representative because it's just like yeah, it's it's so, so fu- it's so awkward and so horrible but it's just like I, I like she obviously sees through him and just just whack right in the right in the throat throat punch oh, yeah yeah that would that's a, uh, another really good scene um um I also really quite like again the bit where he goes to the Tyrell Corp and does the um, voice comp um, uh, test on, on Rachel. Rachel. That is a very good scene as well. The, I think those are my three favorite scenes. Nice. I mean, I, I mean, we were, we've got to shout out the um, the very the death scene, Roy, Roy. Batty's yeah. death scene. That's the um, tears in rain. Yeah. God, it's good. I, I will. I, God, I, it's good. I, I, yeah, the bit where he says, um, "Yeah, I've seen things you wouldn't, you people wouldn't believe. Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion, like that." Like I've heard that parodied so many times in so yeah. many other other shows, and like, um, it's so so good. Yeah, apparently, um, he wrote that himself, um, and and gave it to Ridley Scott and was like, "What do you think? Can I read this?" And it got approved because it was just such a good monologue. Yeah. Um. Yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. Passed away yeah. last year. Was yeah, it, it was, was last it? year, the year before last. Oh. But- yeah but oh man this this film is honestly one of my favorites i'm uh next week we're going to be covering another one of my favorites which is this film sequel i really really i quite like it and i'm I'm very very excited to sh- uh to to watch that one blade runner 2049 yeah. i haven't seen it even though it's on the shelf oh um also given our whole discussion how would you rate blade runner I'd go 10 out of 10. Really? It's yeah. one of your absolute favorites. I was tempted to go seven, not because of what I think of it, but because of like my enjoyment factor versus other films. But honestly, in discussing it, like and kind of dwelling on the elements that I really love about it, I kind of I kind of want to bump it up to maybe I'll go 7.5. I'll go yeah. 7.5. Yeah, th- this is this film is a 10 out of 10 for me. It's so good. But yeah. It's- truly truly beautiful it's 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 a masterpiece and yet it made a lot of mistakes yeah makes a, a lot of mistakes but um hopefully we can learn for them from them to make better movies in the future and we can take what we love about this film and um yeah learn from what we don't yeah well thank you guys for listening thanks everybody for listening bye deal by craig MacArthur. The photo used for our cover is by Rodolfo Clicks. Audio editing's by Ryan DeRoges, and this podcast was produced by Laura and Ryan DeRoges. Find us on Twitter at All's Fair Podcast, on Instagram at All's Fair and Love and Film, or email us at All's Fair and Love and Film at gmail.com. Yeah.